Welcome to Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicMPR.com. This is Elena DelVal, and my guest is Victor Siegel, who is Chief Executive Officer of Verve Life. Today we will discuss the role of music in a marketing strategy. Victor recently acquired Applied SB, hoping to create one of the leading technology-driven music marketing firms in the United States. Victor is responsible for all facets of Verve Life's business operations, such as long-term planning, financial management, marketing, product development, creative, and acquisition strategy. The newly formed organization will be among the first to offer clients a full suite of music marketing strategy, technology and services, and a catalog of 4 million tracks from major labels and significant independent companies in the United States. Victor, welcome. Thank you very much. Good to be here. It seems like a no-brainer. It seems like such an obvious concept that music is so powerful and so predominant in our lives that it would be important in marketing programs. Do you agree? You would think so. Um, certainly, I agree that it should be. I, I think you know our experience has been that a lot of brands and a lot of brand partners either think about using music and then choose not to do it because it's too complicated and the ecosystem of artists and labels and management and whatnot is pretty hard to navigate. And so that we see that on one side and on the other side, we think there's, we see, we still see a lot of brands who just don't know how to do it and haven't dipped their toe in. Fortunately, the business is getting, you know, on one hand more complex. On the other hand, there are people like us out there who sort of navigate the complexity. So, you know, overall, I'd say, you know, it certainly is a, you know, a, a part of everybody's life and more and more brands are starting to recognize that and use that you know, as part and parcel of their marketing mix. Are you aware of any studies that indicate the role of music in shopping and in decision making? Sure. Um, it's not so much in the matter of shopping and decision making, but there's a fair amount of data points out there about how important music is to people and how it resonates both with consumers and on the opposite end of that spectrum, how brand managers and marketing folks look at it. So uh, we always quote as a company, we always quote a couple of pretty interesting stats. You know, one is that 88% of uh, people say that music is something that they'd want to have if it was the only thing they could have on a desert island. <laughs> uh, on the other side, you know, 75% of teens say that they've listened to music, you know, every day. On the flip side of that, when you talk to brand people, 95% of them will, will say that, yep, we think that music can resonate with our consumers and it's an important part of our marketing mix. But by that same token, certainly 95% of brands haven't used music strategically to drive their business forward yet. There's a disconnect then between the thought and the application. Sure. And I think some of it is just the complexity of working, you know, in the music ecosystem. It's a really complex ecosystem. You have, you've got labels who, who own the music. You've got artists who don't necessarily own the music that they record. They're licensed to a label, but they're responsible for their likeness and their image. There are publishers who are responsible for who own the copyright, the actual words and lyrics of the music. You have managers who are responsible for an artist's career, but not necessarily responsible for what the label does. Um, so, so you've got, generally speaking, in any sort of program, you may have four or five 
or you know it could be a dozen rights holders and stakeholders that you actually have to get agreement with to do anything on the music side or the artist side or the publishing side so it's it's a fairly indirect marketplace and my sense and i think we we've seen this played out in a lot of our client discussions is boy that just sounds like a good idea but wow i know it's really complicated and the other part is the misperception that people think that you know working with music is always unbelievably expensive, which it you know isn't necessarily. If someone was thinking about adding a music component to their marketing campaign, hopefully an integrated campaign, uh, but even so, if it was segments of a campaign, whichever way they were going to approach it, what would you say to them in terms of? the reasons to do it and perhaps what some of the first steps might be. Sure. Well, I'll give you two parts. I'll, I'll give you the, the, the reasons to use it and then I'll, I'll give you sort of an example of what generally happens when, when a brand decides that they, they want to go down this path. So the reasons to use it vary and they vary as much as the brands who uh, consider it and who use it. So in some instances, you're using music as a way to bond with your consumers even more. You're using music as an online tool to drive engagement, to have people stay on your sites for a long period of time. Sometimes you're using it as a reward mechanism and a loyalty mechanism to give music out as a marketing premium or a uh, an inducement for continued loyalty. Sometimes you're using music as a way to sponsor a tour uh, on a local or a national level and then use the sponsorship at a local activation standpoint. So although a band's coming through town, they, that might actually translate it into a local event at a local bar or a restaurant or a, uh, or a public place. So the, the number of ways, that's sort of the interesting part is uh, is the number of ways that brands can u- use music. On our side, we brand our company that says we make music work for you. So yeah, it's a pretty big, uh, wide swath of the ways that people can use it. It's as varied as, as the, the budget you want to spend and, and the, the kind of brands that, uh, uh, that resonate with you know, music lovers. The, the second part, that which I always find funny, is more often than not, what will happen is a brand will decide – that they want to do something in music and they, the, you know, and they call their ad agency and their ad agency says, well, let's make a commercial. And they call their promotion agency and their promotion agency says, okay, let's do a promotion. They call their branded entertainment company and they say, let's make a TV show out of it. And they call their PR firm and they say, let's get a spokesperson. And the, the record labels are calling, you know, calling that same brand and the talent agencies like CAA or William Morris. So, you have the concept that you actually want to do this, but the truth of the matter is you're getting bombarded with all the different stakeholders and all the different rights holders. And to be honest, it's enough to make your head want to explode. This is why I said hopefully an integrated campaign because yeah. I was visualizing all of that. There's different calls. Yeah, it's re- I mean, it, again, I think that's, you know, that that's where a company like like ours really does well because we know how to sort through the uh, you know, the marais of all the of all the stakeholders. But it, it uh, I've seen this happen dozens of times where all of a sudden it gets more and more complicated. You know, somebody says, "Hey, let's go do a music program, and we want to use music emotionally, and we'd like to tie ourselves to a couple of artists and use their music in our campaigns." And you know, all of a sudden they get about two steps in and their hair is on fire. 
because it's getting more and more complicated step by step. Um, and I think that's, you know, in some method, in some ways, I think that's actually something that the music industry overall needs to solve is, you know, how do brands participate without having to deal with 48 different stakeholders? Um, and I don't know that there's a very good way to solve that. Um, hence why I think there, you know, there are companies in the middle that do think that do, do the kind of work that my, my company does and others where it's partially about, you know, getting the music and then actually doing the executions of it. So, you know, there's one component is who's the right artist and that's, you know, that's one component or artists or music. And the second component is, well, what do you do with that? You know, how do you actually, we're not in the, we always kid people and say that, you know, I'm not really in the music business. I'm tangentially in the music business. I'm in the business of helping brands use music strategically to drive sales. So that's a very different agenda than say the music labels have. And that, that actually takes me to what I was pondering as, as we were discussing this. How do you know if you should use music in your campaign and how do you decide what kind of music to use? Sure. sure. Well, I think first and foremost, there's a lot of syndicated data out there. You know, that, it, that at, at, at a very sophisticated level, a brand can go look at the data points and the, you know, the, the syndicated data that will tell them for this brand, music resonates. You know, people have been listening. You know, my consumer has bought, you know, has downloaded music five times in the last week or been to two concerts in the last month. So you, you can pretty much look at the data and decide uh, strategically and, and empirically that brands are, that there are certain brands that have consumers that music resonates for. So that's the first part. The second part is, you know, kind of an offshoot of that. If you know who your consumers are, then you do have a pretty good sense that you start kind of at the genre space, you know. So, you know, do my consumers like country music or hip hop or Latin music? And then if it's Latin, is it reggaeton? Is it cumbia? It, you know, I mean, the, 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 the number of, you know, the number of genres are, are pretty explosive and pretty wide open. So you start really at a high level. And like anything else, you're really deciding on a strategic perspective. You know, yes, this makes sense. What is the, the what's the goal that I want to get out of it? What's the kind of music that I that you know that I think is going to resonate with my consumers or the trade? And then you get into the next part, which is the subjective part of well, who's the specific artist and who do I like and you know who is my consumers going to like and who's the easiest person to work with and who won't be the most expensive and you know who will do the things that I want, that I need as a brand to make whatever the program resonate as much as possible. So I'd say that some of it is science and some of it's art. And I'm also hearing you say that you need to have a clear understanding of who your target audience is. You should have a demographic profile. Sure. And uh, that you should know what kind of music they like. Yeah, and I think, again, I think as a brand owner, you know, if you're Pepsi or Coke or, you know, or somebody like that, you've got enough data on your consumer. So you'll, you'll start with that point. But I think the, 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 the other point that you just brought up, Elaine, is really true is to start with a framework and a strategy of what you're trying to accomplish. And I think that, that to me is what we see more often than not is where programs succeed or go awry is that you know that if they're not crafted well as a strategy in the beginning then you're really into kind of the subjective elements all the way around so truth be told while 
I think music drives businesses and drives retail sales for brands pretty strongly. And we have a lot of data points and a lot of successes with our clients ranging from Quaker Oats or General Mills or, 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 or Pepsi and people like that. Um, it is really no different than a traditional marketing approach. In this instance, we happen to be using music where other people might, you know, might choose to use a movie property or sports. You know, generally speaking, the two great passion points that people have are sports and music. That's interesting. So the choice might be between those two or a combination of the two? Yeah, it, it is sometimes. Again, it depends on the target. You know, if you're a very sports or, you know, heavy sports oriented brand like a Gatorade or something, you know, you're really going to always opt to sports. But, uh, but again, the passion point, we, we generally see brands who are turning around and deciding sports, music, um, so part of the challenge that we have as a company, and I would then suggest larger as an industry, is kind of the first question, which is kind of I think where where where, where some of your questions are, are heading, is why music? So you know, while I believe that our company is you know an industry leader and we do it really well and we're successful at at, at all this, I think that's well and good. But we, we've chosen a tact of when we're talking to brand owners that we spend a fair amount of time about talking about why music, which is kind of the approach of selling the category and then saying you really should use music and here's why and here's some empirical data and some subjective you know, points and whatnot. And if you're there, then here's why we're a pretty good company for you to work with. But I think generally speaking, overall, you know, the more that everybody sells the category, the more it resonates with everybody and, and the whole category rises up. Many of the companies that you've mentioned are fairly large companies. How large do you need to be to embrace the concept of music in marketing? Do you have to be a multinational General Mills type of company or can small businesses also use this in their arsenal? Without a doubt, both. Um, and then it's just a matter of the size and the scale and how you do it. So for a small company, you can give away free downloads as a premium you know, for people purchasing your product or service or as a reward for using your product or service. So you can buy music. One of the, one of the interesting parts of the digital revolution, if you will, is, you know, we always talk about this, you know, we always talk about the, you know, the music business and we always say, well, I'm going to go get a CD, you know, we're going to go get a CD. And the truth of the matter is, for the most part, people aren't buying a lot of CDs, right? So the music business is really the digital business, if you will. So the fact that everything is so digital allows people to take a specific song, one song out of an album of 10 and use that uh, if they want to give it away to their consumers. So you know, you've got a lot of flexibility in, in how you can break up uh, music and you manipulate music, if you will, to use it for your own benefit. So it can be as small as giving away 5,000 or, or 500 download, you know, downloads of music or as large as you know, sponsoring Beyonce or Lady Gaga on a global, a global basis and then doing all the things that you would do to drive retail sales and in the U.S., in the U.K., in France, in Asia. So the size and the scope, it can be used for a very small company or, as you suggested, a very large multinational. 
What would you say is the starting point, Victor, for someone who wants to test the waters, maybe a small company or maybe a large company that just wants to see how their audience responds for a particular project or a particular sure. market segment? Sure. I would say call me. No, sorry. That was, that was too, that was too easy. So I apologize. Um, Again, I think it's gonna. It, it really varies on what you're trying to do. So, a very large brand is going to have a very different agenda than a small a small business owner. So, if I'm a small business owner and, and I'm, I have a supposition that giving away music is going to bond my consumers or my clients and customers more to myself than my competition, it, it's you know. You, you try to find somebody who already has the licenses to the music and can execute that stuff easily for you. You know, it, you don't want as a, as a as a brand owner, you don't want to have to talk to record labels or talk to artists or talk to management. Not just for a very small company, but for companies as large as Coke and Pepsi. You know, they they routinely they outsource that task to people like to people like our company and others. Because it's a little too complicated. So, you know, if you're a small business owner, uh, you know, you want to find somebody who has the full capabilities of music and delivery. It's very easy to say, I want to give away some music and, and how do I do it? And if it's a larger company, the agenda might be much broader than just, hey, I want to, I, I want to give away music. It may be, I want to infuse my website with a whole digital, you know, digital music experience and I might want to take music and license it specifically for my commercials and I might want to sponsor a tour and, and all of the things that go with that. So it, it can be pretty daunting for a big company and for a little company it shouldn't be that complex. It really should be finding somebody who actually has the capabilities and there's a handful of good companies out there that do. What's the entry point in terms of their investment in resources, uh, budget for the actual music component and the integration into a campaign, as well as the timeline? What would you say is sure. the minimum entry point or the uh, range, if you prefer? Yeah, yeah, it's it's hard to say what the what what the what the what 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 the the top point is. But again, if you, if somebody wanted to just give away music very simply and you know have a, a card that has some codes on it, those codes could be redeemed for you know pieces of music. You know, something like that can be done in a couple of weeks because it's not a very large, integrated, customized kind of bespoke from the ground up program. You know, and that could be a couple of thousand dollars. I mean, it's not a terribly expensive thing. Again, it depends how much music you're giving away and, and what, you know, what buying commitments you're making and whatnot. But on the, on the flip side, it could be well into the, in, into the multi-million dollars, depending on, you know, how big and, and, uh, and expansive somebody actually wants to get. So it, it again, I think you, you're, the points you're raising, I think, are, are, are pretty interesting because I think the perception that most people have is, well, if I'm going to be doing something in music, it means I'm going to sponsor Lady Gaga, and that's going to cost me $10 million. And while that might cost you $10 million, you can pretty much get into the using music to drive your brand for you know under $5,000. Which is a very approachable number. Yeah. What kind of a timeline, Victor, would you say, you, you talked about as little as 2000 or $5,000. Is this something that will be a week long or a month long or six months? What, what kind of a timeline are you looking sure. at? 
Sure. It, it really depends. When we talk about the cost, the cost is really directly relational to the amount of music. You know, if you're, are you giving away a hundred downloads or a hundred million downloads? So the timeline, you know, generally speaking, for legal reasons, you're 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 allowing people to redeem stuff for you know four weeks or six weeks or eight weeks or twelve weeks. Usually, it's about six months that people allow a program to continue. But the truth be told, the majority of the download stuff, if you're actively promoting it to your clients, might get done fairly early in the process. For legal reasons, you want to usually keep the programs up for about six months. And then again, on the large side, it really just depends. The the lead time on that, we do a lot of programs where um, we're actually advertising the giveaway of music or whatever the, the modality of the program is, and we're advertising those on the packaging and the packaging that actually shows up on the grocery store shelf. And in those instances, we're oftentimes you know, looking at a program that's starting nine months ahead because we have to get approval on the music and then the, the, uh, the packaging has to be developed or changed a little bit to include, you know, the, what we're doing. So in those cases, sometimes so most of the things we're talking about right now, and, you know, in, at the end of August, today's August 26th, most of the things that we're talking about either are very quick turnarounds right now for the holiday season of 2011. Or the majority of conversations we're having are really about 2012 programs. So the lead time for big brands can be pretty substantial. When we talk about music, it again sounds very obvious what it is, but are we talking about downloads, like MP3 files? Are we talking about streaming? Are there video components? Yes. I mean, the, the, the broad answer is yes. I mean, the, the cool part and the sexy part of the music business for brands is that you can stream music, you can do video content, you can give away music, you can, you know, fly your customers over to meet and greet an artist, you can sponsor a local venue, you can give away tour merchandise, you know, hats and t-shirts and stuff. So the, the amount and the, the, the ways that you can use it are hindered only by your budget and your ambition and your imagination. The one thing that I keep coming back to when I think about the concept is the, the incredible variety and how many choices must be available. Is there a magic formula to figure out how to narrow that? I know you said that being well-informed about your customer was an important starting point, but even so... Even if you know your customer well, that still would leave you a pretty large selection of music. Yeah, it, it's pretty daunting, generally speaking. So, you know, in our case, as well as some of our some of our friendly competitors, in our case, we have a catalog of about four, as you said earlier in the introduction, of about four million, four point two million songs. So from that, from a consumer just trying to sort through that, it, it's unbelievably daunting, right? I mean, you know, how would you, you know, consumers, you know, it, it, the analogy that I always use is um, people who have satellite television or cable. So part of my background comes out of that marketplace. For many years, we talked about the 500 channel universe, which exists. If you go on your direct TV, there's probably 500 channels. You probably watch the same 14 over and over again. Um, and music, I would say, in a lot of ways, is oftentimes the same. You know, the big artists 
are the ones that sell an awful lot, and that's where people tend to gravitate towards. And, and the, the part that probably doesn't get enough attention is the discovery of new, of new music. You know, how do you actually discover new music that you might you might want to listen to? And I think at a brand level, you know, some of that is it, it tends to be very, very, very subjective. Depending on the programs that you run, we run a lot of programs for kids. Um, anywhere from three to three to fourteen or three to eighteen is a pretty good sweet spot for our company, and certainly a sweet spot for the for the music business overall. You know, so part of that challenge is making sure that we're listening to all the music and it's it's family friendly and there's no innuendos or bad words. So some of it is a subjective point, and some of it is you just add some objective roadmaps and roadblocks to make sure that you're actually doing the right thing. In terms of the process itself, are you, do you just hand this content to your client or is that part of a system that you have that they work with? How does that work? Sure. So I, I think the easy way to think about this, and I'll talk about it relative to our company, but, but just relative to how you do these things overall. So, The process is sort of the strategy side and then the artist selection side and then curating, putting together the music and then deciding what you do with it. So in our case, um, we get hired to do the the whole thing from point A to point Z. So the artist side, the strategy, the licensing side, the creative development, the digital experience, kind of the microsite, website stuff the analytics, the technology, and everywhere in between. So for the most part, when people come to us, we're doing, we're managing the program from soup to nuts. So we're always going to our clients to get approvals all the way through, but we're, it's not as if we're giving them a, a CD of music and saying, here you go, knock yourselves out. It's, it's really a unified, fully integrated program that we manage for them from, uh, from beginning to end. Does it include a measurement component? Can they get metrics from you? Sure. So we actually have an expression that we call, it, which is called ROM, which is return on music. So instead of return on investment, because what we do is very music-centric. And there are a number of ways to measure that you know, at, a, at an economic level. One way to look at it is you know, how much music did the consumers actually take away? You know, did they download and whatnot? And while that's an interesting measure, you know, we've gotten further and further away from that because, as I said, we're not in the music business. So what we're in the business of is using music to sell more Rice Krispies or Diet Coke or Diet Pepsi. So the real measure is did the program sell more product? And while we have metrics around how much time people spend on their off-sites that we develop and what the interaction is and what the engagement is, those I would I would often argue are very soft data points because the only data point that really matters is I spent about you know I spent money on this program. Did it sell more product for me? That's really the data point that matters. And that you are able to provide. It's actually more of our clients. So in certain instances, we're seeing the data, but it's really sort of a retail takeaway, kind of you know how much product do you sell? And generally speaking that our clients have that data, which they share with us all the time. Looking at the latest census figures and the profile of the country right now, which is constantly changing, I just saw the paper today and they're saying there's been a 
quarter growth, let me rephrase that, 25% growth in colleges among Hispanic students in the last year, for example. And, of course, we're seeing the emerging markets are booming and the non-Hispanic white markets are shrinking. Are you seeing evidence of this in your interaction with clients and the selections that they make? Um, just starting. So in the, you know, in the U.S. Hispanic uh, music sector, you've got basically two different sets of artists. You've got artists who are traditionally Spanish language artists. And, you know, you can think about that in terms of initially Shakira, who's now done a lot of crossover stuff, or Mana, or people like that who, for the most part, Alejandro Sanz, I mean, people who generally just record in Spanish. And what you're starting to see is more and more of those people crossing over onto the other side. So, uh, onto the, uh, the Anglo side as well. So I think what you, what you'll end up with is you're going to end up with one sector. You know, that the, you know, as I, as I say, it's kind of the Univision friendly side, which is real Spanish language, not in English. And then you're going to have, you know, the Enrique Iglesias of the world and the Pitbulls of the world who record both in English and Spanish and who cross over. So, you know, and, 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 and Enrique or Shakira or people like that are equally as appropriate for Anglo campaigns, uh, as they are for, um, for Spanish campaigns as well. What about the highly integrated, highly uh, anglicized, uh, for lack of a better word, sure. consumers? We we have we know a very large percentage of England English dominant youth in the United States, Hispanic, Asian, obviously African American. What kind of music are those young markets? Because, of course, those markets are very desirable for yeah. marketing campaigns. Yeah. Um, well, so it varies. You know, the, the, I think the, uh, the thing that people forget is that the majority of rap music, while it's listened by the urban audience, is also listened by, you know, you know 15-year-old white kids who live in the suburbs. So I think, you know, the marketplace overall is in some ways very similar uh, to what it used to be years ago. You know, there's there's sort of the entry-level transition music, and I put that, you know, in the, the, the a lot of the Disney artists, the Demi Lovatos and the Selena Gomez's. And so there's a lot of sort of younger music, Justin Bieber kind of music, and then people, you know, kind of move up to different tastes of music as they, you know, as, they're, uh, as they get a bit older and their musical tastes change. So I, you know, I think you're still going to see, you know, as popular, as wildly popular as somebody like Justin Bieber is, you know, five years from now, you know, whether there'll be somebody who's such a cultural phenomenon as him, I don't know, but you're certainly going to see another Justin Bieber, you know, another young kid who's just wildly popular and kind of catches the the zeitgeist the way he has and and, uh, becomes sort of a cultural icon for you know, for some window of time, you know, will that be a window of time of 10 years? That remains to be seen. In terms of popularity, what is the relationship between the availability of the music and the availability of the artists for marketing purposes and the pricing? Sure. Uh, well, it's no mystery that the record business per se, and we'll, we'll sort of talk about that for a sec, 
is not exactly the healthiest business in the world. It's down roughly 50% or, you know, in the last 10 years. Um, so the record business per se, the economic side of the record business is not exactly the healthiest in the world. Now that said, people are consuming more music than they ever have before. You know, you have a lot of online services like Pandora and Spotify. You've got mobile services like Mog. You've got streaming services, digital download services. You've got services like Vivo, which is basically YouTube for music videos. So there's more and more and more and more ways for people to consume music. They're just not buying it as much as they used to in sort of the standard way. What that's done to the economics of the business is it means that artists are making less money off recorded music and labels are making less money, but obviously off recorded music. So the shift that that allows is that you find that the labels are much more flexible in working with brands than they might have been 10 years ago. And by far, uh, artists are. And, you know, I, the, the, the difference, I, I always joke about this that, you know, the first tour sponsorship for a, a band was Jovan Musk, who sponsored the Rolling Stones back in 1979 or 82. I, I, I'm sure I'm going to get my dates wrong. And that was considered a sellout. Uh, uh, and that's, you know, sort of the big thing is when, you know, are you selling out? You don't really hear that so much anymore because artists aren't making as much money from their music. So they're much more receptive, much more receptive and much more flexible to work with brands. A, it helps them brand themselves, which is what they're interested in, and, and done correctly, it's making up for some of the lost revenue they're making by not selling as many albums. How does a band or an artist go from entering the music industry to being part of a campaign? Is there some sort of a process that everybody goes through? Sure. Uh, you know, there's the old expression, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? Practice, 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 practice. Um, and it's a little bit like that. So, you know, bands who are out there who are emerging bands that either have label deals or, you know, or, or are looking to get label deals, you know, the more often that they travel and tour and, and, uh, and play for audiences, they become more popular. Um, they send their music the same way that they send their music, literally send a, a, a CD or a, or a digital piece of their music to a record label who's, who may be interested in signing them for a contract. People send us music all the time, just you know, in us and, and, and our companies like ours. Um, so part of it is just, you know, kind of being on the radar, the radar screen. So that's that's one side there are a number of campaigns we just did one last year for a, ba- a brand called Mead you know Mead who makes notebooks and we did a, a a battle of the bands and we had about 12 bands i believe 10 were domestic two were international um and they were all unsigned bands so you know my licensing guys spent a lot of time looking and listening to a bunch of music and you know picked up 10 or 12 bands that we thought were pretty cool and they were in the program and, you know, the kind of exposure that they got, you know, those bands all of a sudden, you know, the program is being advertised on 25 million or 20 million notebooks uh, in Target and office uh, staples and everywhere in between. So for a band who wants to go down that path, it's pretty, it, it's a, you know, it's a pretty good bonanza. The second part is what you start to see is you're starting to see bands the, the, the industry lingo is breaking. So that's sort of a, an industry, an in, industry language for becoming popular. 
but you're starting to see bands breaking through licensing their music to television, you know, as one as another way to get popular and noted. One band in particular is called The Fray. The Fray is a terrific band out of the West Coast. Uh, and they got their music license to Grey's Anatomy and, you know, was a huge shot in the arm for them. So there are a bunch of, you know, sort of non-traditional ways that people go about it. The traditional way that you broke bands was that you got on radio, you know, and you had people listening and that still happens, but there are tons and tons of ways. Radio is still the most popular way to break a band. And once a band's popular, then they get on our radar screen, then they get on, uh, uh, brands radar screens periodically as well. What trends do you see, Victor, you know, for our listeners who are thinking ahead, say, for example, for the next two years, one or two years, uh, I don't know how far ahead you plan in the music and marketing industry, what trends do you see in terms of the types of music and this brand to placement in a campaign concept, what would you share with us about that? Sure. So a couple of things. I, I would never be able to make a good guess on what music's going to be popular. Um, if, if I did, I'd be running a record label and, and be making lots of money. That, that's a, always a very, very hard, hard question. Now, that said, I think, you know, at, at a very macro level, you know, do I think that more brands are going to be using more music more aggressively to drive their businesses? Absolutely. Uh, of that, I have no doubt. I think you're going to start seeing the strata on both sides. I think you're going to start seeing, generally speaking, the the, uh, the sponsorship industry for music is a multi-billion dollar uh, industry. So you know, brands sponsoring tours and sponsoring artists. Um our experience is that that's, uh, there's a lot of money that goes into that marketplace that doesn't get activated, that doesn't get used at a local level. So more often than not, those sort of big sponsorship opportunities, while they're very good for sending people to concerts and, and hanging out with bands and, and famous artists and, st- and whatnot, they tend not to play themselves out if they're not crafted well. So I think what we're starting to see is, and uh, we're seeing it directly, and in fact, we're encouraging our clients even more and more, is local activation, using music and then driving that really to a local basis and, and whatever that means in a city or a retailer or a region, there's lots of ways to do that. So I, I think you're going to see more and more of that. I think um, the Spanish uh, uh, marketplace will continue to get larger. You know, there's a lot of up-and-coming artists on that side that are crossing over. And as much as I'm a big, a, a, a big fan of Univision and Telemundo, you know, those are great outlets and great media partners for music that is strictly in Spanish. And I think most of the Spanish artists that you would talk to are, are grateful for sure for their core audience in Spanish, but also have an interest in addition to crossing over into the Anglo marketplace as well. So I think you'll see more and more of that. Just to clarify, when you say Spanish, you're referring to Spanish language versus right. yeah. from yeah. Spain. Sorry, yeah, Spanish language. And again, it's a, it's a sensitive it's a sensitive area because if you're a, you know an emerging or a well-known Spanish language artist, you don't want in any way, shape, or form, and, and the culture is really not uh, it, it is really really not indicative of that. Is you're not abandoning your core audience. You know, you're still recording in Spanish, and you're still attracting those first and second generation 
uh, Spanish or, or Spanish English speaking, uh, audiences, but you also, most of the larger artists also want to do that and also, uh, record in English and it, and it's what's known as a crossover. You know, Enrique's first, I think Enrique Iglesias' first four or five albums were in Spanish. Now he does albums in Spanish and English. Same thing for Shakira. So you can attract and maintain your loyal audience while also attracting another audience as well. And in, in that sense, it means that more people are listening to their music. More people are coming out to watch them perform live. They're getting more sponsorship opportunities to work in programs that are both, you know, U.S. Hispanic oriented and Anglo oriented as well. So it becomes a win-win all the way around. Are there types of businesses or industries that music is not a good match for? Say, for example, I don't know, somebody in the funeral business <laughs> or bail bonds or I, I don't know what else, medical. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, yeah I mean, some of it, I mean, yeah, I, I suspect some of those might not be very good. It, it's, it's sometimes not even so much a matter of what might not be good for those. I think what you find oftentimes is artists, you know, there are certain things they don't want to associate themselves with. So, um, cigarettes is always a very divisive category. Some artists have absolutely no problem uh, uh, being part of programs from a Philip Morris or a Lorillard, uh, and others don't. Liquor, same thing. I mean, liquor you find is less divisive, but certainly, you know, things like cigarettes are are very very divisive for for a lot of brands, for a lot of artists. Sorry. What recommendations would you share with our listeners, Victor, as they move forward with their first forays, perhaps, of integrating music as a marketing strategy? Or maybe there are some among our listeners who are already using music, but they want to strengthen their efforts. What suggestions, say three tips, would you share with them on how they can do that? Sure. So the first is don't get lulled by the sex appeal of music. And, and I think that's a very, very easy thing to do. I, I'm very fortunate. I have a very cool job. I get a chance to interact with a lot of people, listen to great music, meet great artists, work with great brands. And it's, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm sort of doing this in air quotes. It's a pretty sexy role that I have. Now that said, you know, our job is not necessarily to say this is the right artist so you can hang out with them. And, and, and that feels very cool, but that's different than saying, I'm using music so I can drive sales. So I would say the first and foremost thing is be very true to your objectives. If you're using music to reward your customers, reward your customers with music. Don't get caught up on all the hype of music and all the rest. It's a very effective tool, but you've got to do, you've got to approach it no different than you would approach any other strategic marketing program. So that would be the first part. The second part, generally speaking, and I, I'm going to apologize ahead of time because I don't mean this to sound self-promotional, but more often than not, don't do it on your own. And whether you're doing it with us or, you know, or any number of good people in the industry, it's a little too complex of an ecosystem and it's very easy to sort of get involved and then find out that you really, there were certain things that you didn't know ahead of time in terms of who has the rights or what can I ask from an artist or what, what, what do the labels want? And who do I have to take care of? Who wrote the music? So it's pretty complicated. Um, so generally speaking, 
I would encourage people to seek professional help, which sort of sounds like going to see a psychiatrist, but seek professional help in, in helping you do this. The third thing I would say is if you're going to do it, then do it the right way. And that's a little bit of what I was alluding to before, Elena, about sponsoring tours and stuff like that. If you're going to use music, then use it to its fullest potential. Um, use every element of the music ecosystem. You know, we've spent a lot of time in the last hour talking about you know, music downloads and, and, and whatnot. And that's a really effective strategy. But there are 15 other ways to to use music you know you can create your own band you know uh you can you know sponsor a local tour you know in your local city you can stream music on your website you can fly fly your consumers to a concert across the overseas you can there you know there's so many ways to use it and it's uh, my encouragement is start from the ground up so you know, what is it you're really trying to accomplish? And sometimes, you know, you're, you're associating with music because you want to take your customers to concerts. And that may be a really effective way to get the kind of loyalty you're talking about. Perfectly okay. That, that is a, you know, most of the sponsorship stuff I know comes with uh, what are effectually known as M&Gs, which are meet and greets. So you're backstage and you shake hand with the band for 30 seconds. And you get your picture taken. So, you know, that's a very effective thing to do. So generally speaking, be very, very clear-headed about what you're trying to accomplish and keep your options open to look at the whole portfolio of music options out there because there, there are many more than there used to be five years ago. The last one reminds me of something that I meant to ask you, which is the whole new media concept and its impact on using music as part of a marketing campaign. Do you have any thoughts on that? Sure. Well, the new media side, if you sort of look at and I think there's there's two ways to look at this. One is at a real macro level because it kind of drives down I think to the to the the point that you're that you're noting here. So, in the past, if you went back before digital, um Albums came out and they were on vinyl and you couldn't really buy one song at a time. So you had to buy a whole album. So your ability to sort of manipulate, mix and match stuff was pretty limited by the modality, the way you received music. So the new media part, which I'm going to just affectionately put it as a, as a digital buzzword, kind of digital overall, because the music is more a la carte now, which isn't necessarily good for artists because they could sell one song for a dollar twenty nine on iTunes as opposed to an album which you know or a CD which is twelve dollars or eight dollars. So it hasn't necessarily helped them, but by allow by the music being more a la carte oriented, if you will, it allows for an enormous amount of more diversity of options. You know, you can deliver music digitally, so I can actually take a piece of music and deliver it to your computer in eight seconds. Um my company right now is streaming music. We stream about or deliver about 70 million songs a month to 189 countries. And we do that from you know, 35 people here in the United States. So you don't have the big physical distribution part of shipping albums to you know, uh, Uzbekistan. So the digital side of the business has allowed the fragmentation of the industry has actually been very positive for the way that Brands can use music because it's a bit more a la carte and flexible than it was in the past. 
going back to your tips then to summarize your first tip was that our marketing experts remember to use music as a strategic tool and not just to become enamored of the concept. Did I get that right? Absolutely. To make sure that they seek professional help in setting up their program and yep. within that to do it the right way, I think were the words that you use to make sure that they take maximum advantage of those strategies. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, again, you know, you can, you can, it's, you can use music or you can really use music. And that oftentimes is not a budget issue as much as it's a creative and a strategic and, and a, uh, a marketing way of using music. So my encouragement is to, you know, do it the right way. You know, not just get enamored with the fact that you want to be in music. And I think, you know, if you sort of keep that in mind and look at using music no differently than you'd use any other marketing campaign, that tends to be the most clear-eyed way to do it because then you're not enamored with the fact that you're giving away Shakira's music. You're just looking at this the right way and saying, this is a really effective tool, and how do I use it to my maximum advantage? Thank you, Victor, for joining Chicago, Illinois. Elena, my pleasure. Thanks for having me today. It was fun. And to our audience, thank you for listening to Victor Siegel, who is Chief Executive Officer of Verve Life, who discussed the role of music in a marketing strategy. Please share your suggestions, questions, and ideas by leaving a comment on the HispanicNPR.com website. If you or someone you know would like to be on the show, you can email me directly at editor at HispanicNPR.com. That's editor at HispanicNPR.com.